Just in and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're continuing our series, wrapping up the seasons, looking ahead to the playoffs. In the case of this team, the Indiana Pacers, uh, perhaps one of the least controversial teams in the NBA to most people, one of the most controversial teams in the NBA, at least uh, on this show. So we got Jay Michael, glad to have him from the Indie Star, one of the best in the NBA as a beat writer. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, holding up uh, well considering the circumstances. So uh, just uh, just curious on how this is all going to shake out. And do we jump over to next season, which I think we should do, and just punt on this season? But hey, that's just me. Yeah. Wow, okay. Well, that's. Uh, yeah. I mean, we we've been talking a lot about that. Um, so I, you, why do you think we should just forget about it? Just the lack of fans is just it's not, it's not worth it. The lack of fans, the the variables aren't the same because think about it. With no fans, think about the great comebacks that you've seen because a team was energized by its fans. You have the variables of the noise and the pressure is going to be different. So I mean, it it, it the, this champion's going to have an asterisk next to it no matter what. And I, I don't know, given. All the things that you're pretty much going to have to – there's going to be a trickle-down effect, obviously, how it's going to affect free agency. Uh, I mean, these teams – I've been talking to people who, you know, they have four or five, six scenarios based on salary cap because it's going down. We all know that. It's a question of how much. So, you you know, you have different kind of plans based on that. Is there going to be an amnesty provision or some sort of uh, waiver given the teams that were going to be – out of the luxury tax, but because of now the cap adjustment, now they're going to be into the luxury tax. How do you how do you handle that? You got the draft, you got evaluating talent. Of course, then you got free agency, and you know if the, the cap goes down significantly, that's going to change free agency completely. So their boards, their change, every, just about everywhere. I just think there's so much that you have to reorganize um, going forward for the betterment of the league going forward, and I'm not so sure crowning a champion and going through this to maybe we play into August, I'm not so sure it's worth it because to me, you know, look, a team that we consider like a 10th seed or excuse me, an 8th seed or the 10th best team in the league or the 12th best team could actually end up winning whatever tournament you have or playoff system you have because all of these variables, you know, players coming back, some guys may not be in optimum shape, some teams lose their rhythm, all kinds of things that you can't account for that we haven't even thought about is going to impact the outcome of who actually wins the championship. And I mean, look, I guess it'll be good ratings and people will be excited. It'll be a little bit more like the NCAA tournament, that kind of wild card thing. I'm sure there will be a great interest in it. And the prospect of making money from it is obviously the number one uh, priority uh, from the league office. But I just don't know if if crowning that champion now, being obsessed with that, 
rather than moving on to next season and in the future to get the house in order. I think that bigger picture is more important to me. But of course, I'm not the commissioner of the league who's responsible for the finances of a lot of owners who are hemorrhaging money. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I think it'll be interesting and I'm going to watch it. Like, this is an entertainment business in the end. And yeah, 20 years from now, people, you know, if Giannis wins this championship and this is the only championship he wins, people might be like, Oh, you know, that, that doesn't mean as much as the championships that LeBron James won or whatever. Like, fine. That, uh, like, I mean, that to me, I don't really care. Like, I, I'm, I would just be glad to have basketball. I think everyone would be glad to have it if, of course, it can be done safely, which is a massive, massive question that we don't need to get into here. But assuming that we're at a point as a society where we can do that and do it safely to give people something to watch and, give me something to analyze and just, you know, overall spread a little bit of happiness. I, I think it's, I think it's worth it. Even, I mean, even if it ends up just being like the NCAA tournament, they're only playing one game. Like as long as they're willing to get in there and play hard, like I, that's, I mean, if guys aren't going to play hard, then yeah. Okay. That's then if it's like such a perverted process that guys are like, this isn't even worth it. Like I don't even want to be doing this. And that's one thing, but as long as guys are willing to play hard, like I'm willing to watch NBA basketball. That's my feeling on it. Yeah, it's 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 a tricky proposition to me because I look at it too from the the perspective of an owner like, hey, I need to make money now. Because you know, you look at some of these teams that are really relying on ticket sales. Because you know, teams keep that revenue from ticket sales. That's the one one of the things along with their regional broadcasting where they keep all the money on it. They don't have to share that. So if you're really relying on that ticket revenue uh, to make your money, I understand why an owner would try to, hey, let's get the season back. But then of course you have the health issue, not just for your players, but for the fan base. Let, let, let's let's hypothesize worst case scenario. What if somebody dies, right? A player. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's what I'm saying. Like I mean that's why I mean ultimately I'm pessimistic about uh, their ability to get back. But you know I mean if they're going to actually be able like in, they in Orlando for example like they're they're now they're going to have basically it sounds like as many tests as they need because supposedly like there are enough tests for everyone in Orlando which uh you know I I mean based on what the amount of testing that I would like to see nationwide that's I'm sure that's not true but as long as they can get away with it from a PR standpoint go ahead I guess but like if they could be testing everyone every day and everyone including health professionals feels like it's safe then you know because I mean I I don't know that it would be that much more dangerous than just these guys living their daily lives unless they're just going to be stuck at home like if you're going to be seeing like if we're open again as a society and everyone in their family and their friends and stuff are coming and going in their house like it's not really that much more dangerous to be going to work I don't think risk versus reward I think that's what it comes down to is the risk worth the reward that's at the end of that rainbow and I guess that's the kind of assessment they have to make because you know if it goes awry in any way shape or form and I'm not just talking about players when I talk about somebody dies it could be like coaching staff it could be uh, an older guy on the coaching staff it could be somebody on the medical staff or the training staff so you know and you think about the liability you could open yourself up to and if they're okay with that and they say look based on where things are headed we think we can deal with this okay fine but I think that's if you don't have that conversation first and foremost because you can make money or you know get some success on the short term but long term if the league ends up having a catastrophe like that is it worth that risk and you know hey look i don't get paid the money to kind of make those decisions but boy i I put it this way i'll understand the decision either way because i think you can make a strong argument for both yeah and i mean when i when i was disagreeing with you at the start i was just saying on the assumption that it's safe and and i'm and i'm not necessarily i i 
I'm skeptical that they're going to be able to get to that point anytime soon. But uh, let, let's talk a little Indiana Pacers now here. Um, what would you give this team overall as a grade for their season? Uh, the season's been pretty interesting. I, I actually give them a B plus. Um, they, and the reason why I gave them a B plus is because of how they ended. Well, what we think is so far right now, the ending, the way they came out of that six game losing streak going into the all-star break, because, you know, at that point, you know, they, they were in B minus C plus territory because things really started to go downhill. They come back from the all-star break. Um, by the way, the, 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 the Bucks were, uh, undefeated without Giannis, uh, their final game before the all-star break. And they, they win that game in an impressive, fa- impressive fashion. Um, then they come back, uh, other than when they got, you know, their head split by Toronto. Uh, I think that game was like, uh, late last week of February. They come back and, and they post some strong showings against some pretty, you know, some decent teams, not great teams. You know, Portland was struggling. Charlotte beat them early in the season, but you know, Charlotte's not a world beater. Neither is Cleveland, but Cleveland was playing better basketball, you know, ever since they, they made their changes. Um, um, the, the one, the game against the Bulls, not really an impressive win, right? On paper, because it's the Bulls, it's on, but it's on the road. And you got to consider in that game, uh, that Brian Bowen got the start. That's how depleted the Pacers were roster wise. So they were winning games with, um, with, with matchups and lineups that you hadn't seen them use all season. They hadn't even practiced with. Um, and, I think that game against Dallas, though, for me, when we were in Dallas, they closed that five-game road trip by going 4-1, and one, and they came back to beat Dallas. To me, that was the game that kind of, you know, like, wow, they weren't full strength for that. Dallas, you know, obviously is a good is a playoff team, is a good team. And I thought they did some really good things, especially against Luka Doncic in that game. Uh, completely frustrated and down the stretch. And the game against Boston, the last game before, you know, we went on this hiatus, uh, came back. Oladipo had his best game of the season with 27 points. He was flowing and in, in, in starting to show that that explosion that we've been waiting for for the last couple of months. So when I put all of those things together, uh, all the parts they were missing, th- that's why I think, you know, sometimes we got to not just look and say, oh, they just beat Chicago. You got to say, man, they beat Chicago and they were missing this guy. They were missing that guy. They had to use Edmund Sumner, who hadn't played much up until that point. They had to start Brian Bowen. Um, the roster was completely shot because that Bro- Malcolm Brogdon got hurt on that trip. Uh, and I look at it and I say, well, 36, excuse me, 39 and 26, 13 games over 500. They had a good chance of reaching 50 wins. Um, and I don't think any of us projected they would get to 50 wins, even fully healthy this year. So as a result, I'll give them the B plus, And I think we can get into this a little bit later. Uh, there's some, some adjustments that coach Nate McMillan made during the season, uh, along with assistant coach Dan Burke, that I think contributed to them kind of turning things around so they can get going in the right direction. Unlike last year, in the stretch run of the season, the Pacers yeah. started to regress. I think this time they were building up in the right direction towards the playoffs. So they were going in a proper trajectory rather than falling back. Yeah, I mean, I I might even go as high uh, as an A minus uh, or even an A because I mean, I thought that this team without Victor Oladipo would be uh, a 500 or below team, and that when he came back, maybe they would take off a, a little bit. As it turned out, I mean, I think at least the the way that he played over the bulk of the season, you mentioned he was getting better, but uh, he I thought his coming back hurt them a little bit uh, because he just wasn't that efficient, and he he was trying to retake uh, the, the former role that he had but yeah i mean this so many guys exceeded expectations sabonis tj warren brogdon i thought all those guys 
played better than you might have expected tj mcconnell really helped them a lot mcdermott had had a good year i mean everyone just about on the team other than maybe miles turner was above expectations you mentioned oladipo how do you look to you uh as as we were uh right before the hiatus you mentioned he had that good game a lot of that was because he went five to seven from three what, what were your thoughts uh, on how he, he was playing and looking i thought that was the first time like you know his shot he looked on balance when he shot the ball um you know he, he didn't he never lacked the confidence even when he wasn't shooting the ball very well i mean he had a couple of games early in his comeback where i think he was like four for 17 from the field didn't shoot the ball well uh i didn't think necessarily that he forced anything i mean maybe he did force some stuff early on i mean it's only natural right that you got to try to you know push yourself uh but i when i say but force himself I, I thought he took open shots teams were giving them to him and obviously because he kept missing them they kept giving him a lot of shots and so i expected some of that that you know he would be his rhythm wouldn't quite be there early on. Uh, then you, I thought you saw him make a conscious decision at some point to not focus on shooting so much and, you know, moving the basketball. Um, I thought defensively uh, he was pretty good in terms of his lateral movement, uh, his anticipation, all of that stuff. I thought, you know, the defense is going to be ahead, was ahead of his offense by far, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I liked his defense. I thought I thought that was the best the best part of what he was doing. Yeah, no doubt about that. I thought that was very he he made some second efforts, third efforts, fourth efforts, that kind of stuff. But you know, to me it was what I kind of expected though. You know, there were times where he, you know, he got that separation at the top of the key against somebody in an you know, an isolation, um, and beat his guy, but didn't have that last step explosion to get to the rim and finish over somebody. Yeah. That's the biggest thing I noticed too was, was the explosion at the rim. Yeah, that part I I didn't see uh, for most of this. Uh, for most of this, I have to go back and watch the Boston game to see if I still if, if it. Was, I think it was a little bit better. His ability to do that was a little bit better. I distinctly remember him doing something in the Dallas game where I kind of like oh. I hadn't seen him do that, you know, finish like that at the rim before. So I think that part is start to slowly get better. I mean, the question I guess is, is there another level for him to get to? And we just, you know, I think by now we would know that answer if they were still playing, but obviously we don't. Uh, but if you base it on his progression uh, and that he hasn't really had any uh, serious setbacks, I think the way he was going was just fine. And, you know, you, you mix all of that together, you know, and as you said, Miles Turner, he wasn't playing very well for, you know, three quarters of the season. Um, he actually started to play better on both, especially offensively. Um, he was better on both ends. Defensively, with them starting Sabonis next to him, they started to play better as a unit. Um, there was a little bit more I cohesion, identity, knowing what their role was, knowing what spots to be in. Um, and again, I, I think when I said when I said when I said about McMillan and Coach Dan Burke mixing some things up, defensively they got more creative, and I think that kind of fed the offense as well. Yeah, t- tell me a little bit more. Uh, well, actually, no. Let, let, let's say I got one more question on, on Oladipo first. Um, all right, it, 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 I'm putting you on the spot here. Does he make it back to an All Star level or not? What do you think? <sighs> I'll say yes because if for no other reason, um, you know, I, I think the you know being an All Star in the East is a little bit easier for a guard than it is in the West. So I think just by the numbers game, uh, he has a better shot at it. Um, I think he'll be, I think he can get back to the all-star level. My, my bigger thing is, so I'll say yes. My, so my, my, my short answer is yes. 
I think the long-term answer is can he be a guy who's a perennial all-star? Can, can you know, a guy can have an all-star year. I mean, Christian Leitner had an all-star year, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it's a, you know, getting an all-star berth here or there because your team is really good. Um, you know, that can happen even to players who are far lesser talented to, than Oladipo. I think the bigger question is, can he be a mainstay where he can sustain this level of play? Because I think for me, I think that's more the issue, the durability long term. And that answer, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think what did he just turn 28 uh, just a, a bit ago? Yeah, I think that's the bigger issue. Can if you give him a, a you know a, a long year, a, a max deal or a, a maximum years, and that's is he the kind of guy that you want to invest long term in? Because he's still going to be that player at the end of that deal. I think that's the bigger question, more so than short term. Uh, I think short term he's going to be he's going to show some progress and he can be an all star level player. Um, cause you know, he, he's, he's done some good, he did some really good things in the last, the last week of the season that, that made you think like, okay, he can get back to that level. But I think it's more of a durability issue, uh, with that in, with it recovering from that injury than it is what he's doing necessarily now. And, you know, we, we're just, we're just not going to know that just yet. Yeah. But since, since I asked you and put you on the spot, I, I should probably answer as well. I, and this is as someone who I was probably higher on what he was doing in 1718 than just about anybody, I think. Um, but I'm skeptical that he can get back there just due to that explosion at the room. I thought he, in that 1718 season, I and mean, when he was what, you know, 25, 26, like, his explosion both off the pick and roll his ability to just blow by guys and then also like he really really improved his finishing at the rim that year that had always been a weak point despite his athleticism in earlier years and I didn't see that come back and I think guys who've had that major of an injury that that is generally what is either the last thing to come back or it doesn't come back just the really uh like and especially as a guy who's basically six three, uh, the explosion through. So I'm not saying that he can't get there, but if I had to put my money on one or the other, I think I it would be more that he becomes a solid starter. I mean, I think he was. I thought he was pressing early in his return, and he'd taken all these jumpers, and he wanted to like take these deep threes and he wanted to just have that high usage and prove that he was back as a star and i'm not sure that he's going to be able to get back to that level personally but i'm not ruling it out to to be clear um so what have you heard as far as like potential extension talks with him and just to before you answer that just to bring people up to date he makes 21 million in the final year of his deal um which is uh the at the end of 21 is when it expires he is eligible uh, after this season for a four-year deal that would be 112 million or of course he could go into free agency and then he he could get a a full max deal that would be much much more than that um you know more more along the lines at least on the current cap uh, of close to 150 million or so um what have you heard as far as like whether that type of an extension has been offered whether they might be uh, amenable to it uh, there, there hasn't been any uh extension talks i mean you know you know there's been this discussion actually someone asked me this week about oladipo uh being offered a four-year deal so like he, he can only be offered a three-year extension at this point obviously because He's got next year, and he's technically this year still active. So he could only get a, a an extension of three years right now if he were to. What I'm told is that Victor wants the most money possible, the longest deal possible. So I I expect him, un- unless there's a health issue that arises where it makes more sense for him to go ahead and get the deal done 
with as a four year extension right away, rather than waiting. From what I understand, he wants to get the maximum he possibly can. So I would not be at all surprised if he just plays out this contract and comes to terms later, so he can get a full, a bigger deal with more money. Of course, we don't even know where the salary cap's going to be because that whole thing is in the air too. I don't know how the finances of the league taking a downturn and for how long. I don't know how that impacts decision-making. And I don't think anybody knows that. Um, but, you know, you know, Kevin Pritchard and the Pacers have a pretty good relationship with Oladipo and his, uh, and his agent, Aaron Turner. Um, uh, you know, and he's been told, I, I was told that Oladipo has been told, if you want to talk to about an extension at any point, doors open, let's go ahead and get something done. But if you want to wait, we'll wait. But there's not, there's no, look, he, he's their star He's a guy that they can't afford to let go uh, and lose. And, you know, quite frankly, he likes being there. And I, I just don't, you know, every time Oladipo and his extension and talks about will he stay and that kind of stuff comes up, I, I kind of don't really think much of it because it would take something catastrophic, I think, to change the course of what I expect to be uh, inevitably um, an agreement uh, later in this process that gets Victor to, 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 to finish, to, to spend his prime, the rest of his prime with the Indiana Pacers. Um, they're not, they're not letting him walk. And if anybody says, Hey, they could trade him. They're not trading. Him. Uh, that, that that's look, you can never say never, but I say there's a 99.9% chance. You'll never see them put him up in trade talks because they, he's, he, it's more than just his production on the court. It's, it's the, he's, he's part of the brand. And that's that's as important as anything else for them. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a couple interesting things on that. I mean, to me, if I were Oladipo and I got 112 million in cash put on the table after the injury that I had, I mean, presuming that the the rest of his season was looked about the way that this one did, small guard, dependent on explosiveness at 29, um, and you also, I mean, you, then you get the team to take on the risk that you might get injured over the next year or that you might just not play that well to me i would sign that i if i were his agent i would recommend that he sign that in the off season if it were offered um and as the pacers i mean it's just yeah okay if he he has this unbelievable year from age 28 to 29 uh and then you're gonna offer a four-year deal at uh, averaging uh, over 40 million dollars or, or pretty close to it uh, and you know again it might be a little bit less but then the cap is down too so you're looking at the same relative percentage um, I mean that I would really blanch at potentially doing that. And now Victor might be, say, Hey, you know what? I signed that $84 million extension in OKC. I've got all this money in the bank. Why not just like shoot for the moon? But to me as him, especially with the injuries already suffered a year worth of risk, the fact that he's a small guard, the fact that he's 29, I would rather have that 112 million signed up ahead of time as opposed to uh, waiting to get an extra $30 million next year. I think there's more that can go wrong for him than that can go right. Yeah. I mean, that's the you know classic case that you take the bird in hand. Um, and, and that's where I, you know, I think if, if he waits, that shows that he's re- not only really confident, but he, he, in his heart of heart knows that he's, he's fine, or at least he believes yeah. that he's fine. I, I mean, also for, I mean, for some guys too, it's an ego thing about making sure you got paid the max as opposed to getting the most money possible. Very true. And, you know, and, but there's something to be said. I mean, you know, hey, we, look, we, we've all been talking about since that last dance documentary came out when Scottie Pippen signed that, what, seven year contract for $18 million. Because uh, he just wanted to get the money that was on the table at that moment, it turned out to be not a very good decision. 
<laughs> right? Because and but that's part of what you as an agent have to help project with your client, and that's sure. also with the player. I mean, so it's all those variables. But w- what's going to happen with the cap as a result of all this? I mean, aside from what's going on with the coronavirus, I mean, we kind of forget what happened at the beginning of the year with China, which is supposed to maybe make the salary cap take a little bit of a hit. So um, yeah, it's. It's 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 a pretty interesting position to be in. I think um, you know if I'm coming off of that injury, I, I'd understand if he wanted to go ahead and take the 112 and say you know punt on that 30 million. Don't worry about it. Take the money right now because you never know what's gonna ha- what can happen. Uh, but I, my my sense though is that he's going to wait. And um, and you know Vic is very stubborn and bullish about proving his point that he's going to bet on himself. He's really big. You always hear him say about he bets on himself. And I I anticipate that he bets on himself. If he does not, then I'm going to wonder, what does he know that we do not? Let's, uh, we kind of got sidetracked a little bit here, but uh, I'm glad that we did because you, you know, probably know more about that, that situation than just about anyone. Um, you mentioned those defensive changes that they made uh, over the course of the year. Can you uh, elaborate on that and what you felt like worked well for them? Well, they, they finally went away from the whole um, – they went away from a lot of concepts. I, I can't remember the game. I want to say it was after one of their – maybe the second time they played Milwaukee. Uh, I remember Milwaukee shredding them um, right before All-Star break. And, um, you know – and I, I went to someone and I says, "Hey, you, you guys no longer icing the, the side pick and roll, and because they got away from that, and that's something that's been, you know, for instance, part of you know what they've done. You know, you, every team has its own system, and they they stop icing on the ball screen. They stop. Um, uh, they 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 wanted to kind of protect their big, not get Sabonis or or out of position, not get turned out of position, not get Malcolm Brogdon in particular." Uh, Brogdon was getting beat by some of these faster guards, having trouble keeping up. Um, they, they wanted them to kind of, uh, you know, the ball was getting into the middle of the paint just too much. So you saw them get away from ice in a ball screen. You saw them go to a 3-2 zone. Um, and they kind of rolled that out briefly in a, in a game against Brooklyn. Um, and then they came back a game later and did the same thing, and they played it a little bit more. I think Milwaukee was that game after that, and they played a little bit more, and they had some success with it. And then you you start to see them kind of mix some of these things up and not be so reliant on, you know, this is a defense that's always been, a you know, old school, man-to-man, stay in front of your man, guard your man. But they had to relent and understand the team has changed significantly. You had eight, nine new players on the roster as opposed to last year. Um, you can't, you know, there's certain position situations. You can't just say, Hey, just guard your man. Um, and, and they had to kind of mix some things up and, and you saw them confuse some defenses, uh, some offenses sometimes with it. Cause they, they kind of hit some teams with it. I actually went to, um, I was in Toronto and the one game that the Pacers, the disastrous game that they had won, they ended up losing by a point. They led by like what, 13 points with three minutes left and lost it. And I remember going to Nick Nurse, uh, a few weeks later, he and I were talking about this and I says, you know, about how the Pacers have mixed up their coverages. And if he was surprised and he says, I'm shocked. <laughs> he says, I didn't expect to see that at all. He says, because, you know, they're a team that, you know, that does things their way and they're going to make it work. They're going to force they're going to force something square into a round hole. That's kind of what they do. And it actually caught, you know, it, it caught Nick Nurse off guard. He's like, you know, he was complimentary that they were willing and able to do it. Uh, I talked to 
some of the coaching staff and, and their, their their claim was that they would have done it sooner, but they had so many injuries and so many guys were in and out. They didn't feel comfortable trying to do it when they didn't have some of their key guys. You know, Brogdon was hurt on and off significant periods of time. Jeremy Lamb, before he ended up with his season in, in an injury, he was hurt. Miles Turner was hurt early in the season. So they had so many guys in and out and couldn't field uh, a fully healthy uh, rotation that they would use. So they kind of waited a little bit. Maybe they would have better a better record than 39 and 26 that they instituted. So, But they, they, they junked it up a little bit more um, and tried to make people finish over them and, 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 and didn't, you know, and wanted to kind of keep their guards because they realized that, you know, using Brogdon and Jeremy Lamb when he was starting before Victor Oladipo came back, you know, Lamb in particular, I mean, Lamb gets out of position, would get out of position constantly. <laughs> he was consistently uh, out of position and getting beat. So that was an issue. Uh, but you had him, you had Lamb and Brogdon who are long kind of, you know, big guards, but they're not necessarily fast. And they had to kind of adjust to that. As well as, I think that was as big of an adjustment as the whole Sabonis plan on the floor as the four with Miles Turner. That was an issue early in the season, and they found ways to correct that, I think, as well by junking up with a little bit more creative offense, defenses. Um, and the other thing I think that helped them is they got away from Justin Holiday going to the four and having to defend fours. Uh, he was successful offensively against big fours, but defensively, that's where they kind of broke down. And so they had to find a way to compensate for the lack of size at the four position uh, when they took uh, one of their bigs off the floor. So it is no secret that I am not exactly the most beloved in Pacer land. And that's because when Demonis Sabonis was selected to the all-star team, I termed him one of the worst all-star selections in a long time. The one thing I wish I had specified was that it was players who were originally selected to the all-star team. Some of the injury replacements in the East, I would say, have probably been been worse than him. Um, but so I've explained my reasoning uh, on that, basically that I think he's pretty average defensively and I don't think he's very good on offense, but not absolutely elite where you're running everything through him and, you know, on the level of like a Carl Anthony Towns or a Jokic type of player. And so if you don't have a great defender at center, then it's hard to have a, a really good defense when he's your only center. He, I think he benefits a lot from playing with Turner. But uh, where, if anywhere, do you disagree with me uh, on that? Man, that was a doozy. I, I, I was I was wildly entertained by that tweet you made about Sabonis, <laughs> and and the responses uh, I'm sure as well. See, a, a lot of people seem to take that uh, beyond basketball analysis to the point of uh, a personal affront. I, look, I, I will tell you this: I respect anybody who does that because in this industry we have so many ass kissers who care about access. They won't they'll keep it real, and I know this not only because what I see with the game, but I'll have people say things to me in private. Like, Hey man, you're right on about that. But you know, they don't want to jeopardize their, their access to LeBron James. And I don't care. <laughs> so <laughs> I under, I understand it from that point of view. Like you just say, hey, I'm giving my opinion. This is what it is. You don't like it. So what? Um, so from your opinion on Sabonis, I, I understand I, I'm two sides about it. I understand what you mean. Like he's not dynamic guy who's going to beat you off the bounce um the way a big like say anthony davis is or he's not gonna you know shoot that three-point shot or that long ball the way carl anthony towns does um you know he his his, his skill set is pretty uh, basic but i think in that basicness that he's really effective at what he does like his 
it, it's you know the thing to me with Sabonis that that does make him good is he's got this 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 he's undersized in a lot of ways, especially his reach and that sort of stuff. He's not gonna you know he's not the greatest jumper in the world, but he'll still have you get plenty of games where he's getting you twenty and fifteen. Uh, and I think it's his worth ethic, his motor, his drive, and that sort of stuff kind of makes up for some of that that he lacks in terms of skill. So if you're saying compared to the skill level of other guys who are all-stars like LeBron James and those people. I mean, come on, duh. Of course, he's nowhere near that level of skill set. But what makes him good are the things that I just talked about. So um, so I, I see it and I understand your point of view. I think about, you know, I think I mentioned earlier in this about, you know, I kind of mentioned Christian Leitner being an all-star. <laughs> I think I think about guys like that. It's kind of amazing if you go down the list of guys who made all-stars Oh yeah, I mean, if we're going back to like Jamal McGlure or something, you know, yeah, like like he's he's definitely better than someone like that. That's why I limited it to like the last few years. But yeah, if you limit it to the uh, last few years, okay, fine. He's not the most skilled in terms of that. Let's face it, the All Star game isn't made for big men anyway. That's why you don't yeah. see big men get, get All Star MVP. It, it's it's a it's a guard and wing sort of game anyhow. I mean, they might as well not even you know let the bigs play because they don't use them properly or use them anyway the way the game is played. So. I understood it. I thought it was a bit harsh. Yeah. Well, well, it really comes down to the defense. That's the biggest thing for me. I think he's a wonderful offensive player, um, although not, you know, not a, a top five player offensively at his position, but probably pretty close. My point is, if he's if you don't have Miles Turner on this team, if he's your full time center, and he does a great job with the tools that he has, he's a good verticality, like he good defensive rebounder, like he tries as hard as he can, but he's you know he's got a limited wingspan, limited explosion. He's just not being able to protect the rim that much. Uh, you know, he's maybe slightly above average in terms of foot speed for a center. So my thought is, can you really build a great defense if he's your only big man? That's why I think he benefits so much from playing with Turner because Turner spaces it on one end and protects the rim on the other. So he can be an off- a center on offense and a four on defense most of the time. Um, you know, on, on the backup units, he can play five, but that's against backups. So that's that's my thought is that, like, if you don't have Turner there, it's really hard to build a good defense around him. That's where it really it fell apart for me as far as him being an all-star level of player. Yeah, and I'm a huge Turner fan. I mean, you know, I find myself defending Turner, with, especially with Pacers fans, um, because they – they have a tendency to praise everything Sabonis does. Yeah, because yeah, Sabonis puts up the stats that everyone loves. You know, I, I, I mean, every Yahoo who is responding is like, "Oh, he's a twenty ten and four or whatever." Like, like you, you idiot! He's got all these double doubles. Like, yeah, we, that that would have been real convincing in nineteen eighty, pal. But uh, we we can do better than that now. And Turner, he spaces the floor, he protects the rim, like the things that don't show up in the stat sheet. So Sabonis is always going to be overrated. There might even be a, another difference between them as to why Sabonis might be overrated and Turner might be underrated. Uh, but <laughs> um, uh, but but in any event, yeah. So like, there's a reason Sabonis to be overrated and Turner's to be under, underrated. So that's yeah. It, but sorry, I, I interrupted you. You're saying you, you're defend Turner, but it's like it's so it's just a perfect example of the type of stuff that gets overrated and the type of stuff that gets underrated no doubt about it and i find myself defending turner more and you know i've made it clear to people like i do not dislike or disrespect i love him i love him personally i think he's a great guy um you, you know you talk to him off camera and you small talk with him he's a really he's just a really decent person a good person love him to death i don't i don't dislike his game or you know he makes the best of what he has 
I find myself defending Turner more publicly, at least, because he just gets bashed more. I think if it was the opposite, if Turner was getting all the praise and people were saying Sabonis stunk, I probably would find myself publicly defending Sabonis more. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's this, you know, obsession with, well, you know, Sabonis – and and that's where I get into, you know, I think fantasy sports has kind of ruined people's <laughs> the way they evaluate basketball. Hey, he's got me great numbers. I was actually able to win my fantasy league this week because of it. And Turner didn't give me numbers. Therefore, you know, what Turner does, he's soft, he stinks. And, you know, that's just not true. If you don't have Turner back there, the, 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 the Pacers aren't 39 and 26 at this point in the season, regardless of Sabonis' numbers. Sabonis could be averaging 20 and 20. The Pacers would not be 39 and 26 without Sabonis back there. Now, I know the counter argument would be, well, without Sabonis getting those numbers, um, um, the Pacers wouldn't be 39 and 26. But I think what Turner does, it allows, you know, it's the whole Draymond Green argument, all those kind of guys who do the dirty work that don't get the great stats or don't get as good as stats. The kind of things they do, it, they just don't help. What Turner does doesn't just help Sabonis. It helps other guys, too. It bails out Brogdon when he gets beat off the dribble in the middle of the paint. So you see Turner having to cover. You know, we were talking about defensively how they have had to change things. Turner's had to cover so many holes and gaps in the defense. It's physically impossible. So when you see the highlights, when you're looking at the game in a one-dimensional fashion, all you see is Turner getting scored over. What you don't see is that rotation was late. Uh, the guy, the guy at the top, got beat off the dribble on the first move, and Turner's having to guard two people: a guard coming downhill and trying to keep Andre Drummond off the boards, which is an impossible task. They just see the result. They don't see all the buildup that leads to that. And so Turner doesn't get the respect he deserves. I think Sabonis gets more than enough uh, praise and love for what he deserves. Uh, But without Turner there cleaning up some of that, you're absolutely right. Um, Sabonis may still get some numbers, but the Pacers aren't 39 and 26. That I guarantee you. They'd be lucky to be 500 regardless of Sabonis numbers if Turner wasn't there. Well, and it's funny, too, because I granted, I probably missed on the Pacers a lot just in terms of their overall team quality. Uh, You know, I was way wrong on the Oladipo Sabonis trade for Paul George. I thought they didn't get enough there. Those guys blossomed. So those definitely turned out to be a good trade for them. Uh, So but I, I think I'm just choosing like people took it as an attack on the Pacers. It's like, no, I just think that their other players are probably better than like whether it's Turner, TJ Warren, who we haven't talked about, but who who really took massive strides forward this year that, that I know you've talked about a lot. Um, you know, I, I would give more of the credit to some of the other players than Sabonis. It's not like an anti Indiana thing. It's just, it, I think if, if you're saying that Sabonis is a, an all-star and I mean, the, the other reason why he made it, of course, is just the coaches are like, well, Indiana has a good team and we have to pick someone from them and Brogdon's been hurt and Oladipo has been hurt. So, and Turner doesn't have the numbers. So we're going to pick Sabonis, you know, it's kind of, th- there's that aspect of it too, because they're just, we have to pick someone from this team. That's how you get some of the worst all-star selections. But I just think they're a really, really deep team. They have a great bench. They built a great team together. Like, that's what I focus on for why they're good, less than Sabonis. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you, man, you know, the T.J. Warren aspect is kind of – that's one um, That's one gym. I didn't anticipate him being as good as he, he's been. Uh, I didn't anticipate Justin Holiday being as much of an impact player. Yeah, they get these wings to defend. Who? Uh, not that Holiday didn't defend before, but Bogdanovich, now Warren, they get these guys to defend? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's uh, it's funny. Like when the, the Pacers got absolutely destroyed when they played in Utah, 
And the only bright spot, that, that was like probably Jeremy Lamb's worst game defensively that I've ever seen, and that's saying something. But um, <laughs> that game, like they just got beat from out of the opening gates. The only thing that went right in that game, it, it's funny. Just look at what Justin Holiday does just does to Jordan Clarkson. The, it, it's it's comical how bad Jordan Clarkson. If they'd have kept giving a ball to Jordan Clarkson, the Jazz would have lost that twenty something point lead. Holiday <laughs> did. He did. No matter what Clarkson tried to do, beat him off the dribble. Tried to isolate him. You can't isolate and beat him off the. Clarkson's not that not as good as people think. See, another example of a guy who can post good stats, but Justin Holiday ate him alive in isolation without help. And you know, so you look at a guy like Holiday and you say, man, even when the team isn't playing well, he's still playing well defensively. He does so many good things. Like I said, he's undersized when he has to play the four against some of these big physical guys. But, you know, the effort is still there, even though he's getting bullied around there. But Justin Holiday, his acquisition's been uh, better. I mean, his three-point shooting, you know, he's always been kind of a mid-30s to low-30s three-point shooter. Now you see a guy shooting closer to 40% from three in that position, as well as defending that spot. Um his, uh, you know, and I look at guys like T.J. Warren, who defensively, you know, nobody ever talked about him, the kind of things he's been able to do. T.J. Warren, the biggest knock on him is that sometimes he gets too aggressive in games and he gets in early foul trouble and he gets those touch fouls. But in terms of his energy, his effort, his IQ, his determination defensively, and you put that with Justin Holiday, and you think about how much money they make alone, which isn't that much when you, you know, relative to what you see other guys getting paid around the league. So you got two guys who can score, who can defend their position. And I think throwing that into the mix also has helped a guy like, say, Sabonis and, and help fill in some of these gaps. And they realize, like, okay, we're not really good, necessarily great defensively at the top when it comes to Brogdon and Jeremy Lamb starting together uh, on the defensive side. And even though Brogdon can play some good defense, he still you know, has trouble with small, speedy guards. But you got to find a way to use some of those other assets that you have, like Warren, like Holiday. You see them put T.J. Warren um, on, on Devontae Graham. Devontae Graham lit the Pacers up in their first meeting. Pacers had the game one. Devontae Graham goes off. I think he scored at that point like 35 points, which was a season high. Brings Charlotte back to win that game. The next time the Pacers play Charlotte, um, T.J. Warren tells the coaches staff, I want Devontae Graham. And they put him on Graham. They wait until the second half because the Pacers were leading. They were in the same scenario. Graham's going to try to take over. T.J. Warren shut him down. Now, Devontae Graham isn't an all-star, but he's a pretty good scorer. You know, T.J. Warren is a forward. And he, he gets on a guy a guy like that, and he completely locked him down. Now, they played together at Garner Road AAU program, so he knew Devontae from back then. He knew all of his tendencies. But I just think it, it, it's not just the physical ability. It's the assertiveness and the mentality that, you know, you weren't really sure that a guy like T.J. Warren had because he's kind of a seems to be a passive guy. So you throw all of that onto this team, these guys who outperform most people's expectations, and you figure out, you know what? And, and both of them are along, like, hey, we can help cover some of these gaps behind Sabonis or around Sabonis or with Jeremy Lamb or with Malcolm Brogdon going against some of these speedy guards. We can find ways to use these skill sets better. And I think that's what's helped them get back going in the right direction because it took them a while, a long time. It took them half the season after they lost that young on how to replace that because losing that 
going into the season, I think impacted them quite a bit. And you, you know, you, you're so right about like how if they didn't have that, if they didn't have those guys behind Sabonis doing what they're doing, you know, the Pacers' record isn't this good, and Sabonis probably isn't an All Star. So I think it's not just Turner too. I think you can throw those guys into the mix who've added to the defensive profile, and I think they've become more versatile defensively as a unit where they can throw different things at teams and get results. Last question here for you because I know you got to go. What do you think if there were a playoffs? What do you think would be keeping the coaching staff up at night going into a, a playoff series? Hmm, keeping them up. Um, the, so regardless of opponent, um, I think uh, I I think would keep would keep me up at night. Number one is you know if we're, if we're talking about just on the court, well. Obviously, off, yeah. off the court, I'd be worried about if Malcolm Brogdon going to be even be healthy coming into the series, <laughs> given yeah. his injury history. Um, I would think the probably the, the biggest thing to keep them up at night is they haven't been really good at closing games that they should win. I mean, the last game against Boston, the decision making down the stretch wasn't very good. I mean, Oladipo took the only two three point shots he missed. He took some four shots. Um, you know, I go back to that first time they played Miami, had that game one, gave up four, I think it was three or four offensive rebounds. Oh, I watched that game. Yeah, that was that was atrocious. Yeah, it was atrocious. You go back to that Toronto game I mentioned when the, the pace was led by 14-15 with three minutes left and lost it. The They had trouble, to me, when a team hits them with a wrinkle or throws some sort of pressure at them. Look, Offensive rebounding is obviously a thing, and I think that's why they've gotten away from trying to play Justin Holiday too much at the four spot against bigger guys because that's proved to be yeah, especially with Turner. Turner, for all I like him, he is a very poor defensive rebounder. Yeah, and you and so you you have a lot of kind of, and I think that part because instead of we're talking about their thirty nine and twenty six, I really they should be probably forty four and twenty one if they just grabbed a loose ball or a rebound or made one better decision down the street, like one better decision. Like if they made, even as that Toronto game just went off the rails, if they made one completed one pass, got the ball past half court and didn't turn it over and lead to a layup. If they just executed one time, despite all the other flub ups, they still win that game. But they seem to, especially when Toronto, I think Toronto used a diamond press or something to that effect against him. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, they're. Uh, I, I love that Toronto press, by the way. And and they they just and they had no idea how to beat it. And you saw each time the Pacers faced it and and how they screwed it up. It was some basic. It was a basic read. You know, you throw the ball here. You're going to get doubled here, and when soon and you have to anticipate this double coming to the. You don't want to get it caught on the sideline and all kinds of stuff that they just kind of fell into. And okay, you turned it over here. You turned it over there. So you know where the trap is coming from. So certainly the third time you're going to make the right read and they would make this wrong read again and again. And it always seems to be like that's where they kind of falter. Yeah, for me, the biggest concern is just the offense in general. What is the hierarchy going to be between Oladipo and Brogdon? And that kind of gets into a little bit of what you were talking about, too, at the end of games. Not necessarily having that go-to guy. I'm not convinced that Oladipo is back at that level yet. Because they used to, back when he was healthy, they would just run high pick and roll for him every single time at the end of games. And I don't know if they have that right now. You've got Sabonis, you've got Warren, Oladipo, Brogdon. Maybe none of those guys are dominant enough to just throw the ball to at the end of a game. So I think, yeah, I agree with you. Down the stretch in particular, 
how they're going to get offense. I mean, this wasn't an elite offensive team, only 18th in the NBA this season. That is my biggest concern, especially against some of the great defenses they may have to go against in the East playoffs. All right, well, thanks, man. This is awesome. Really appreciate you coming on. Love your Pacers work. As I said, you're one of my favorite beat guys to follow. And as for us, we'll be back later in the week. Talk to you all then. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.